Father, uh, we're grateful for this opportunity to meet together as a body of believers uh, in this wonderful facility, on this beautiful island, in a free country. Uh, Lord, all the many blessings you pour on us, although we're not worthy, we're grateful for them and we're thankful to you. Lord, we're especially thankful today. We lift up all the mothers throughout history, throughout time, from Eve all the way through to Sarah and on into women like Naomi, Elizabeth, and of course Mary, the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. All those women were nurturing life-giving forces. Without moms, there are none of us, and so we all owe a very deep debt of gratitude to our mothers, and we lift them up, Lord, for all the blessings that they bestow on us. Uh, and we also pray for those whose mothers maybe have passed. Today's a good day to remember your mom, and just remember how she honored you in, in your life and how you can then play that forward by honoring other moms uh, among us. Uh, we're grateful for Pastor Kevin. We pray for a great message today. Uh, we pray that he's a worthy vessel of it. We pray that we are worthy recipients of your message, that we soften our hearts and open our minds to hear God's word. We do all these things in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning. There we go. <laughs> All right. If you have your Bibles, get them out. Turn to the book of Galatians, or in this modern day and age, I might say, get out your phones and look up the book of Galatians. Um, we've been going through this great book, and, you know, just coincidentally today, in this study of Galatians, we've come to a part that's going to talk about two mothers, just coincidentally. So, uh, Mother's Day, we get to hear something from Paul about two mothers. Now, I have titled this message, The Infertile. And the reason for that is because you got two mothers here in this story. One is fertile and one is not. And Paul is going to use a story about two women to teach a point. In fact, I think my next slide, I got this picture. I, I chose this one because uh, it, it's cartoonish, right? But you can really see in it the age of Abraham and his wife. This is Abraham sitting there. He's got his gray hair. He's an older guy. And then his wife is also older. And she has not been able to give him a child. She's been barren in that sense. And in this picture, what you see her doing is she's bringing her servant, Hagar, to him to say, look, we're getting old. God made a promise to you that through your heir, uh, we would ha be a great nation. And since I haven't been able to fulfill that, then maybe we need to take things into our own hands and try to make it happen. Here is my servant girl. Why don't you take her? And in this picture, this is what you see. You see in this shot, Sarah willingly coming to Abraham with this plan. And these are going to end up being the two mothers of the story. Because even though she's old, even though she hasn't been able to give him a child, she will. God will fulfill his promise through her. And so this story is about two mothers, and I've titled it The Infertile, because Sarah has been that, but this is an illustration to teach us something about our own faith. Do you have infertile faith or fertile faith? So, having said that, I realize my glasses are down here, so I must come grab them, because without that, can't read. So here we go. We're going to read the passage. Galatians 4, verse 21. 
Paul's writing, he says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Father, I just pray as we study this passage that you'd open our eyes to what Paul was trying to teach here, that your spirit would teach us in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I wanted to start off by pointing out in the very first verse, Paul says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law. And there's a way in which the question's being asked. Do you want to be under the law or not? Do you want to live by faith or by works? Now, most of us in this room, we would say, we don't want to be by works. We don't want to be under the law. We want freedom in Christ in the gospel message. And yet, There's a way in which you can consciously choose that and say, I'm making this decision in my mind, we're going to be free. And I guess, I suppose, because in his day they were dealing with people who were consciously making a decision to try to do it by works. And yet, what we're going to find is that most of you, many of you, a lot of us, consciously choose freedom in Christ, and yet we find ourselves often being pulled back, tethered to works. And that's what Paul is going to drive out here. It reminds me of uh, an illustration. You may have heard this, baby elephants. When they are young, if they want to train them, they will take them and tie them to a post like this in the picture. You got a rope there and a stake, and when they're younger, they, they may not be strong enough to to uproot it. Sometimes they'll use a chain and they can't break it. And it teaches them that when they try to go out on their own, they feel that resistance and they stop because they're tethered to this. But as that animal matures into a fully grown elephant, they are more than powerful to just pull that stake out of the ground, to break that rope. They could do it, but they don't. Even though they have it within themselves to break free, they're tethered to this because they've been trained by that. And this is a little bit what I'm alluding to. Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 2, there's a verse that talks about hearts that are trained in greed deal with covetousness. 
And the word trained there means when an opportunity arises or they're in a tempting environment, they react with greedy desire because their nature is trained. It's what they know. And this is part of what maturing in our faith is supposed to do. It's supposed to undo that tethering, that training to the kinds of desires that shouldn't be there. Now, the question that Paul's asking that I ask of you today is, do you want to be under the law? He's asking that. Do you want to be under the law? Do you want to live by faith or do you want to live by works of righteousness? Or perhaps what it is is you're saying, consciously, I want freedom in Christ, but I subconsciously often am tethered back because I've tra- been trained that way. That's the heart of what we're going to drive at today. And Paul is going to use an example. He's going to go all the way back to the Old Testament. And that's why my first point here is the example given by Paul of Abraham in verses 22 and 23. He says, for it is written. Now I'm going to stop right there. I got to point this out because he does it again in the passage. Do you realize when he's saying it is written, what he's saying to you is that go back into the scriptures and you're going to find what I'm about to tell you. It's true. God's word is true. The story that I'm going to give you is not something of fairy tale. This isn't a truth that we find in some made-up story like Aesop's fables, you know. This is going to be a story that really happened. In the timeline of the history of man, if you went backwards, you would find a man named Abraham. You would find his wife, Sarah, and you would find Hagar. The characters of this story were real people. This isn't an old woman who lived in a shoe that was just made up. It's real. And I, break, I give you that point because sometimes there are those who look at the Bible and say, Noah wasn't a real guy. Adam wasn't a real guy. The characters of the Old Testament, some of them, they're just, they're like a, they're like a, a, a fable. That is not how the Bible's written. It's written as truth. These things happen. They're real people. And he's saying to them, it is written. And what is it that's written? He's going to tell us right now. Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman born through promise. Now, if you're not familiar with the story, let me just give you some background. Abraham and his wife Sarah. What do we know about Sarah? Well, one of the first things we learn about her is she was beautiful. She was a beautiful woman. In modern-day language, they would say she was hot. She was hot. And, you know, a really good way to illustrate that is to tell you another story about when God came to Abraham and said, I want you to leave your land, you leave your homeland, you're going to move over here. And so he's doing the move. He's following what God said. He's traveling across the land, and he happens to travel through Egypt story you may, may not know about. He traveled through Egypt, and when he traveled through Egypt, the Pharaoh came out to meet him. And the Bible says that Pharaoh noticed his wife. Woo! She's hot. And he asked about her. And the Bible says that Abraham was afraid, because he said, if he, he knows that that's my wife, he's going to kill me so that he could take her and be his. So he, in the moment, goes, no, that's my sister. Out of fear. And so Pharaoh says, well, a sister, you know, come with me, hot woman. And he takes her back to the palace. And in this story, you have Pharaoh. I just imagine what's going through Abraham's mind. Now he's outside the palace. He's going, what have I done? My wife is with the, with the most powerful man in the land, and he wants her. 
she's hot. And God's not going to allow that, right? And as the story goes, God smites Pharaoh. And he gets this, he's like, on his skin, these, this boils, disease thing, and he's like, what is going on? And so he comes back to Abraham, and he's like, what have you done? As soon as I took your, this, your sister into my house, this happened. And he says, well, actually, she's my wife. And, and then it's like, that's when he probably should have killed him, right there, right? But you see this reversal of what you're going to find in our story today, because just think about that. For, I mean, what woman in here would have went along with that plan, right? Well, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and let this guy take me into his house, and who knows what's going to happen. That is not, that is not, like, women, modern women today would have went, no way, you know, this is, so Abraham doesn't have enough faith yet to trust God in a situation where he feels his life isn't threatened because of his hot wife. And his wife is like, I'm going to go along with the plan. Now, in today's story, it flips around a little bit. We're going to get to that. But what I wanted you to see is a little background because the promise was you're going to have a son. And because of that son, a nation will come from you. You will have as many sons as there are stars in the sky, meaning a whole nation will come out of you, right? Now, you saw the picture. They were old. Abraham's in his 80s. Uh, they're getting old, up there. She's not even of childbearing age. But even in that, all the years she was, she couldn't have a child. And that's why now she, even though back in time she went, I'll go along with this crazy plan. Now, at this point in time, she says, we're going to have to come up with another plan. Because even though God made this promise to you, it doesn't look like he's going to follow through. We're going to have to make it happen. And so she has this idea where I'm going to bring my, my servant girl to you. And through her, she's young, she's pretty, she's fertile, and she can give you a child. And through her child, then God can give us a future. And we can have a hope for our family through her. But this is what you see. The slave woman's son, then, is born according to the flesh, Paul writes. Now, what that means, according to the flesh, we're not talking about his desire for the woman. We're talking about his own plan. This is Abraham's attempt at self-salvation. It's, I'm going to come up with my way to make it happen, even though it actually originates with his wife. But that's what he means by according to the flesh. And then the other son that's born, because after Hagar gives birth to Ishmael, um, she does have a son. Sarah does have a son, Isaac. And that son comes through promise because, and I like how, you know, with, with Hagar, it's like this son is born according to the flesh, your own plans, trying to make it work. But this other son it's through the promise. Even in that verse, the contrast is that it was all on God because he made the promise. Do you remember? We went through this Sundays ago where we talked about God and his covenant. He, he came together with Abraham. I'm going to make a covenant with you. The, one of the, the ways that they would, would solidify a covenant in that day, we don't do that today. Today we might notarize and use papers and sign it. But in that day, they killed animals, cut them in two, put one half there, one half here, and they would pass through. The two people making a covenant would pass through. And what was said was, 
If I don't follow through on the covenant that we're making, do to me what we have done to these animals, which is basically slaughter me. That was, the, that was how they would make a covenant. Except in this case, before they pass through the animals, God causes a deep sleep to fall upon Abraham. And it's only God in the form of fire that goes through that. And he's saying, it's all on me. I will make it happen. And here in this moment, it's going to be in his time, not our time. And they're old. I mean, it wouldn't be that miraculous if he gave him a son at a young age, but it has to be of God when they are elderly people and past the age. That has to be God. God opens up her womb and gives her a son in Isaac. And what Paul is saying here, notice two women, two sons, one according to the flesh, one born through promise. And what he is teaching us here is there are only two ways to be related to Abraham. You see, Sarah and Isaac, the offspring is the nation of Israel. So you could be related to Abraham that route by being a Jew. But over here, because he was with Hagar, Ishmael's born. And do you know what comes of Ishmael? The Arab nations. So it's possible to be related to Abraham through Arab nations. You are a descendant that way through Ishmael. This is Ancestry.com we're talking about here. Didn't have that back then. We do now. You know, you hear about people who says, you know, I sent in a DNA sample. Lo and behold, I'm one-fourth Indian, one-quarter Cherokee. Well, uh, the, I got Eskimo. I got, and they start talking about all these different, you know, uh, ethnicities or cultures that they came from. And they would have never known that if they hadn't sinned the ancestry. This is what we're talking about is where did you come from? And the illustration, though, ultimately is spiritual. There's only two ways to be related to Abraham. Not, not, we're not talking in this moment about the flesh. We're talking about in faith. And it's either Isaac through the promise that was given or it's I'm going to do it my way, salvation by works. Okay? And in this moment, here's what Paul's saying. If you start thinking that you have to obey the whole law, you are not children of Abraham. However, in the moment you believed in Christ and you put all your faith in His work on the cross, you were the children of Abraham. You're a child of God then. You're related to Abraham that way. Because he's already used him as an illustration. By faith, Abraham was justified. By faith, if you're justified, then you're related to him. And if you are a person who, the, the pathway that goes backward in my ancestry.com, ultimately, if it's salvation by works, you're connected to Hagar, is what he's saying. Okay? But there's only one son of promise. Okay? So, that's the example that's given. Now, let me give you a little more explanation on the women. Because Paul does that in verses 24 to 27. And he starts out the very first thing. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. So he's, he's telling you, look, 
This is an illustration. It's an it's allegory. So don't don't hold it letter of the law here because as you go through it, I know someone's going to be sitting here. We're going to go through this or go. That seems kind of harsh on Hagar. You know what happened to Hagar? That seems kind of mean. As we go through the story, you might have that thought. But Paul's using it as an illustration of faith to teach us something. That's what he means right there when he says this is allegory. Okay, but. <clears throat> How is that? Because the women represent two covenants, he says. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Here's where the allegory comes in. He's using Hagar as a way to illustrate something. And, and his illustration, and yeah, Hagar from Mount Sinai, represents present earthly Jerusalem. So there's a couple things in there. He connects Hagar to the, to the Sinai covenant okay, in the desert when the law was given. And there's a way in which that is it's law-driven, justified by trying to follow all the law. And he points to the current earthly Jerusalem. The, the, the capital city, Jerusalem, which, by the way, is filled with people who find their justification by following that very law given on that mountain. And Paul's description of them is that they are slaves. They are slaves. The current citizens of earthly Jerusalem who try to find worth before God by following the law are enslaved to that very law. Because they don't have faith in Christ. They don't put all their faith in Christ. And as he goes through this, I kind of broke it down into four sub-thoughts for us. The first is the slavery one that he brings up. The present Jerusalem, consisting of those unbelievers, people who make their the justification by the law, it means they're slaves. So we've seen this throughout the interactions of Paul with the Galatian church in his letter. <clears throat> he we have people over here who are coming into the Galatian church over here and saying to them, you need to follow these days, honor these months. It's like you got to celebrate the holidays and the holy days that tie back to Judaism of the Old Testament. And if you don't do that, you're not really a Christian. And so there, remember we said legalism comes over and they try to make you follow, dress like them, talk like them, eat like them, Honor the days they honor. There's a way in which they want to enslave you to that. If you're not like us, there's something wrong with you. And Paul says this is slavery because there's a freedom we have in Christ. Okay, Paul writes in the New Testament that our faith in Christ is not about eating and drinking or what days that we find to honor over others. It's about peace. And righteousness, he says. But there's a way in which we can be enslaved. And if you are someone who said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to consciously say I want freedom in Christ, but like that elephant, you find yourself tethered back over here where you do something in your life and you say, man, God must see me as, I'm terrible. I broke that 
law again. I broke that rule again. It's a thousandth time. He must, how can I go to him and say I'm sorry again? And so one of the ways we compensate is we come back over here, we go, if I, if I pray a lot of extra, maybe he'll, uh, that'll appease him some. Now he sees me a little better because for like a whole week now, I haven't sinned and I've been praying a lot. And somehow we tether ourselves back to this idea that he sees us through our own righteousness, but he doesn't. He sees us through the righteousness of his son. And Paul is worried about that Galatian church being pulled back into that. Now, after slavery, I put here, you need to notice the attempt at self-salvation because this is Abraham's bid for getting it done his way. That's what that phrase, according to the flesh, means. And it represents salvation by works. God made a promise to Abraham. And Abraham, in this moment, was like, it's not going to happen, so i got to make it happen. And how does he do it? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give, the, my wife seems to have a good plan. I'm going to buy into that. We've we got Hagar here. We're going to make it happen. That's works. Trying to do it his own way. Trying to, well, God, i got a son now. Now you can fulfill your promise. As if God up in heaven was like, oh, I'm glad you came up with a plan. Because i got this plan over here. And what we're going to see is your attempt at your plan, it's going to be a disaster. It's going to make a mess of, a big mess. But I want you to see that, that not only is there slavery, but there's an attempt at self-salvation. There's an attempt at trying to make yourself feel worthy to God or to fulfill promise, to get him to fulfill promises. But over here, faith in Christ, there is promise of eternity with the Father. Remember, Jesus came, brought you out of that prison, and it didn't stop there. He said, you're in my family. I'm bringing you into my family. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. I got one for you, and you're coming into my house. That's what our hope is. Our hope is looking to the future in that. And then it's like, that's the promise? Well, if, I don't know if it's going to happen, so I'm going to try to make it happen. And on this earth, it may look like this. My true worth is in that promise I have in that future. But I don't feel that worthy, so I'm going to find something on earth that makes me feel worthy. Could be a title. Could be money. Could be a relationship. And sometimes those things challenge total freedom in Christ. Well, I'm bankrupt. Now I feel like uh, no worth. Well, that relationship is gone. I don't feel loved. And you see how things of the earth, we look for worth and value in such a way that they compete with where we have our true worth and value. Not only self-salvation, but I already said it, disaster, right? Because when you read that story, peace was lost in that home. Because when you read about it, Ishmael's born, and Abraham is happy about that. He has a son, and he loves that son. But then the time comes where God's plan kicks in, and Sarah finds herself with child. And then that child's born, Isaac, and he is the child of promise. And as the story goes, Sarah started becoming jealous and envious 
of another son and another woman in that house. And part of this message is, is you can't live under the same roof with competing efforts at worth. You can't. And they couldn't. And it broke peace. Now Abraham was between two women. Now Abraham was between two sons. And each woman vying for his attention and lifting their sons up in his eyes. But it didn't stop there. Because the nation that came out of Isaac is the Jews. But the nations that come out of Ishmael are the Arabs. And they are still at war today. The Arab countries around Israel would like to see Israel gone. And there's that, you know, famous, you know, Miss America pageant question, what do you wish for? I wish for peace in the Middle East, right? And can you just think about that for a second? That Abraham's attempt to try to to bring about it his own way ended up causing centuries of war between nations. Peace was lost in the Middle East in that moment with Hagar. And then he goes on to just say and remind you this is an allegorical point. And what is the truth then, Paul, in that? And the truth is that the false teachers ultimately are descended from the slave woman. These false teachers, these influencers that came into the church are saying, coming over to the Galatian Christians and saying, you need to be honoring these days and weeks like we do where you're not really saved. He said they are descendant from the slave woman. They are of Ishmael. The, uh, uh, Ishmael. They are not of the free woman of Isaac. And that's something to take note of because any, any religion in this world that says you have to earn your way, you have to work, you have to find value through religious acts. You have to bring balance in your life by praying this much because of this sin. That is of Ishmael. That is of the slave woman, Paul says. That is not freedom in Christ. And he's giving us this explanation of the women, why he's using it. But he moves on to Sarah. Now, he says, uh, Sarah, or Hagar, rather, corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Now, here's the contrast, verse 26. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. And what he says there is, you are not of the Jerusalem on earth filled with people who are trying to be justified through works. You are of a heavenly Jerusalem, the very one where Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. That is your future. That is your hope. That is who you are and who you are from. And that comes from Sarah, the free woman, the free mother. And you know who fills up the heavenly Jerusalem? People who stop trying and striving to attain salvation and they just allow God to save them. Think about that. The heavenly Jerusalem is filled 
with people who stop striving to save themselves and they just let God save them. You know what that means? That means salvation is found in brokenness. Salvation is found when finally it, it breaks my will to try to come over here like Abraham and get it done myself. That has to be broken in you. And one of the things he does to illustrate this is he quotes from the prophet Isaiah in the next few verses. For it is written, there it is again, this is not an old woman in the shoe, this is something that was real in the past. And he says, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now how does that tie in? That passage that I just read from the prophet Isaiah has reference to Israel when they're in captivity in Babylon. Now, we went through the book of Daniel. We studied that. If you were here, it's a good study. But just to take you back to it for a second, you have Israel who's been taken out of their homeland and they brought back into Babylon and they're slaves. And there's a point where Israel's like, what hap- where's our God? Where's our future? We have no future. Because we're slaves in another country, we're being amalgamated into the Babylonian Empire and who we were, our identity of who we were is disappearing. That was what they felt in their hearts, what they were beginning to to wrap their arms around. And the prophet Isaiah is reminding them, no, you are not the barren woman. You are not desolate. In fact, your children will be greater than the barren woman. That's what he's saying in the example. Babylon, he's contrasting Israel's God to who Babylon is. And I just thought through the Bible all the times that we found salvation in brokenness. We found God working with the humble. Christ himself came to Mary. Mary, the reputation, one of humility. Last week we talked about the prodigal son. The prodigal son who said to the father, I want your stuff and I'm leaving. And he squandered it all, found himself in the pig's pen, thinking even my father's servants eat better than this. I'm going back to my father. And as he comes back, the older son, they throw a party for the prodigal. And the older son says, that's not fair because I'm righteous. I followed the rules. You should be honoring me. And there it is, envy and jealousy. People who try to do it on their own, works righteousness. They, they, you know what works righteousness does? It builds you up in such a way that you think you're owed something. I'm standing before God. I want you to look at my record at what I've done. Father, why are you giving a party to the prodigal? I've Look at my record. You know who the real slave is there? It's the older brother who's followed the rules. And he's enslaved by them because he's entitled. And he feels he's owed something. But salvation is a gift from God. It is not earned. And there's a way in which what I'm saying is salvation is found in brokenness. To realize you are the prodigal. No matter how much you try to live like that older son, I followed the rules. Don't ever look at God and think he owes you something. Or don't you ever look down at a brother and say, look at what a prodigal they are. I follow the rules. Salvation is not found there. You don't see the need for salvation. The prodigal does. 
the prodigal gets to the point in their life where they're broken and they say, I need the Father. Not only that, but grace is found in the barren. Because between the two women, you're going to see that Hagar and Ishmael are going to be sent away. And in the whole illustration, they're slaves. Salvation doesn't come through their line. But salvation is found in the woman who was old and barren. Not the young, pretty, fertile Hagar. Like, who would you want to be? Would you want to be the old, barren woman in the story? Or the young, pretty, fertile woman? Like, you, you know the answer to that. You know what our culture would say. But God's grace is found in the barren. It's the opposite of what the world would say. In fact, I saw it said this way, if salvation is by works, then only the fertile can have children. Because in the story, the only one who really could have children was Hagar. And if salvation is by works, salvation is by, I'm going to make my own plan, then the only way to the Father is through making your plan and works. Because this way, she's infertile. She's barren. She cannot have a child. And there's a way in which the story is told to, to draw you to that point that you cannot get to the Father but through His Son and faith in Him, Jesus Christ. Grace is found in the barren. Salvation is found in brokenness. But worth or righteousness is found despite failure. The prodigal failed. He tried it on his own but came back to God. You see, God's Word teaches God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. The prodigal found humility. Nebuchadnezzar found humility. The Bible is full of stories of people having to come to a place of making themselves less and small so they can see the greatness of God. And in our story, you have a woman who was willing to be taken away into the palace of a foreign man and follow the husband's plan. But later in life, when she was old, saw no way out of it and said, you know what? I know there's a promise that's been given, but we got to help God with his promise to us. And we see in the story, worth is found in, in the failed attempt because God does fulfill His promise despite her attempts. Now, <clears throat> let me put it this way. In that day with Sarah and Hagar, what was the true value of a woman? You know what it was? It was childbearing. The ability to give children to her husband. Now that was valuable. And there's a way in which in the story, Sarah's saying, what culture values, I don't, have, I don't have value. I need to go find a woman of value so we can make it happen through her. And what scripture is weaving into this <clears throat> is that we should find our value in the right thing. 
Because culture changes. Is that what we would say today? Abraham's day, a, a woman's value was in childbearing. Is that what we say today? No. I mean, some, yeah. But, you know, we've broken gra- glass ceilings, you know, whatever. You know, what do we value in women today? That they can be independent. That they don't need to depend on a man. That they have a career. That they have an ability to have a job to support themselves. Now that's value. And there's something here the Bible's saying. That culture changes. Who knows, a hundred years from now, how will we value women then? Culture changes, but God does not. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And what he's saying is, you put value in a woman this way, there, but a hundred years later, it might be something different. But you cannot let culture define value that way. One pastor said it this way. We should not make children our life and worth any more than we should make career or money or power or approval our worth. The gospel cries out that the people who have the most will find that their false strategies of self-worth collapse. And the barren, the poor, the marginal can be more fruitful, more rich, and more powerful than all the rest. They can bear great fruit if they begin to live out the gospel and serve others. You see, in our culture today, oftentimes we value so much the independence of a woman, her ability to be able to uh, make it on her own, to have a career. A lot of young women, that's what I hear. They're focused on going to school and getting that degree, which in and of itself I'm not saying is bad, but if you find your absolute worth in those things, you will find yourself at a loss because it can never unseat what our true value is in Christ. And that message is embedded in this story because the true value of a woman was in childbearing. And here you have a woman who couldn't do it. And yet God's promise comes through her. Now, that leads me into this exhortation that Paul's going to give here right at the end. The exhortation that he gives to the church. Because he says, you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. So the words brothers and children of promise, he's talking to the church here. He's going to give an exhortation. Let me read it. He says, just as at that time... He who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So also it is now. And one of the things he's saying here is beware of the hostile relationship between offspring. Just like in Abraham's day, you had Ishmael and you had Isaac and they created hostility. Peace was broken because of the presence of both under that roof. And that's why I circle back and say you can't live under a roof where you say, I'm going to put my faith in the works of Christ, but I'm going to come over here and have have my own plan to find worth. What's your plan? I got a career path, and if it happens, I got worth. I'm going to try to make this rank in the military. If I do, I got worth. I'm going to have a retirement, and I'm saving up, and that's going to be a measure of my worth and my value. You cannot have that in competition with 
who you are in Christ. How do I know that that's happening? Anytime you lose something over here and it triggers a loss of joy, it triggers anxiety, it triggers anger, because that's not what you see in God's hopeful. That's why I always go back and say, you realize Apostle Paul was in chains in a prison singing. How can that be? Because his hope was not earthly. His ultimate hope was with Christ in the next life. And so what the exhortation Paul's giving is a warning. The presence of two creates hostilities. That's the illustration that comes out of this. Ishmael, born according to the flesh, persecutes Isaac, born according to the Spirit. And I put here, notice the salvific statement in verse 30. In verse 30 it says, but what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. And what he's saying there, because in the story, Abraham had to choose. And he was told, you got to send Hagar and Ishmael away. Now, that's why i got to take you back and remind you, Paul said this is an allegory. We don't want to say, well, it was so mean to Hagar. But just so you know, God came to Hagar and said, I'm not going to leave her, you know, dying in the desert. And he promised some things to her. But the promise of salvation comes through the free woman. And it comes through the promise in the son of that free woman. But you had to cast out the other. And there's a way in which what's being said to you. You have to cast out the attempts of doing it on your own, of trying to find worth in the things on this earth. Cast it out because it will make war and it will persecute your freedom in Christ. I'm free in Christ. Oh, but I don't feel valued, so i got to come over here. The culture says I'm valued if I'm fill in the blank. Rich? Beautiful? What? Strong? Strong in faith? That's true. I'm giving the opposite of that. This is interactive now. It's good. But what I want you to see is that it will erode the freedom you have. And it's like, you know, I use the example of my barbecue. It always rusts. You know, how do I know it's rusting? I can see it. There it is. It's growing. And the metal's like rotting away. You know, one day, like the bottom just went, you know, and how do you know when war's being made on your freedom in Christ, you can see it. The rust in your life are anxiety and fear and jealousy and envy and anger. These are not the fruits of the Spirit. Those are the products of the flesh in this world. It's kind of like the illustration of another father and two sons that most people don't know about. We all know about the prodigal son and the, the older brother. But in Matthew 21, Jesus tells a story about a father who goes to a son and says, Go work in my vineyard. And the son says, No way. I'm not doing that. 
And he goes to the other son. He says, go work in my vineyard. And the son says, absolutely, dad, I'm going to do it. And the father goes away. And then the son that says, I'm going to do it, says, I'm not doing that. And he doesn't. He doesn't go. And the son who said, no way, "Ah, you know what? That's my father. I should do what he says. And he goes and he works in the vineyard. And what's the story Christ is telling? He's saying, it's this one who's following me into heaven. He's going to get there. Even though those are descriptions of us right now. You come in here and you sit, and God's Word speaks to you, and you say, absolutely, I'm going to do it. And then you go out there, and you don't. (laughs) Right? You need to be which one? Ultimately, you need to be the one who ends up in the vineyard. No matter the struggle right now, I know it. I talk about things like um, the three big ones to me are sex, money, and power and how you uh, relate to those in your life. Do you relate to those in godly ways or not? And so many times I'm talking about one of those three things in here and people are like, absolutely. And then they go out and they're like the son who says, I'm not going to the vineyard. I'm not going to live that way. My hope is that you would actually wrestle with it. Like, just admit, I don't want to do it your way, God, but let God work in your heart. Listen to His Word, because salvation comes to the broken, right? It comes to the humble. And He says to them, remember, there is only one son of promise, one heir to the promise, because He says to them, The son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. I love this exhortation because he lands the plane at the end by reminding those Galatian Christians, you are from the free woman. You need to be reminded of that. You need to be reminded of that. You have freedom in Christ. You need to to live with that. Now, we get to the very end here. We say, um, there's two ways of salvation. Put your faith in the right one. Ishmael will persecute. If you say, I have freedom in Christ, Ishmael's going to persecute it. Culture is going to come in and try to shape your values to look like it. And we're going to be tempted to come over here, make it happen ourselves, find our worth, find our value in the things of this earth. But that's the nature. And that's what Paul was saying. Because there are two, one persecutes the other. And it will try to erode that in you. Now, I'm reminded of that Second Peter passage Trained in greed, they react with covetousness, he says. It's in their heart. And Christianity is all about reshaping that in us. Renewing your mind. Maturing in a way that realizes, like a fully grown elephant, the spirit within you, you have it within you to break whatever rope or chain is trying to tether you to uh, worldliness and Ishmael. Now, 
I want to get to the end. It's Mother's Day. I wanted to tell you about a mother. Because through this, this message, I've been saying that um, salvation is found in the brokenness. We can bear great fruit if we begin to live out the gospel and serve others. And I saw that in my mother-in-law. You may not know this, but my, my in-laws were here for 20 years in Guam. And they ran a Christian school. Now, they were different. My father-in-law was, a, was a kind of a self-made man. He, you know, very confident. Um, my mother-in-law was a principal at, at, at the school. She invested her life into students. She had a more tender side to her than my father, father-in-law. But she, by every uh, measurement of our culture, would have been looked at as a woman successful in modern day. She had a career. She, uh, you could see um, people changed by her life. But whenever I got into a room with her and talked with her, the thing that stood out the most to me was she was humble. I want to show you a picture. This is my mother-in-law. There's my wife. She's not here today because we found out yesterday she passed away. And so my wife didn't come today. She said, it's going to be hard. Mother's Day, and my, my, my mother passed away. She fought cancer for 10 years, my mother-in-law. And so, in a sense, we're glad that she's with the Lord now. And she's with her husband. My father-in-law passed away already from cancer. But I just thought, the story of two moms today. And one mom was a mother who God had to bring her to a point where my plan's going to work. And through the lesson we learn. Salvation is found in brokenness. Grace is found in the barren. Worth is found in who we are in Christ. I found those things in my mother-in-law. I just want to share that as a way of closing the service. To see it in the life of a woman who gave the, the vast majority of life to Christ, serving in ministry. And there are so many times where I'm at Payless, I'm at Kmart, and I hear a voice. Mr. Elwell, and I turn around, because I came and I served as a teacher in their school here for four years, and it's someone that I taught, and they always ask, how's your mom-in-law? How's Sharon? How's Rod? Well, now they know Rod's passed away, but they always ask about him because they touched the lives of so many people, the grace of a godly woman. Father, thank you for this lesson from Paul. His illustration of two women, two mothers, and two sons, and how they demonstrate freedom in Christ, slavery to works. And I just pray, Lord, as we go through this book, more and more, you're just chipping away at the propensity within us to keep being tethered back to works, to find our value and worth in things of this world, Sometimes worldly things like salaries and ranks and jobs and careers, but within the church, sometimes it's through acts of worship and prayer that we think somehow balance out the unworthiness we find in our life. I just pray, Lord, that we would 
find that freedom in Christ to know we are loved. We are, we are more loved than we could ever imagine or hope for. And yet to find that, we need to come to the realization that we are more sinful than we ever thought possible. But because of your love for us, because of the gift of your Son, we can have hope in you. Continue to shape that in us. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and we'll close as we worship together.